BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to a bonus weekend episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. This man needs no introduction. Mark Gurman of Bloomberg, the reporter who gets Apple scoops like no other. Quick catch up on this episode with Mark about his recent scoops from just this week, but also some Apple analysis in general, including Apple has apparently spent as much as $3 billion on its original content for its new streaming service, but they have probably fewer than 10 original shows slash movies locked and loaded. When it comes to Project Titan, Apple's self-driving car project, Apple still doesn't have any idea where any of it is headed. And I was skeptical that they had any idea where this was headed either, that we'd actually see an Apple AR headset, Apple goggles. But Mark thinks we really will, except not until 2021 or 2022. But first... Guys, we don't have to choose between hair growth and our health. Nutrafol's drug-free whole-body approach promotes hair growth from within. No compromises, just better hair. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement brand with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 84% of men showed improvement in their hair after six months taking Nutrafol's men's hair growth supplements. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com men and enter the promo code RIDEHOME. Find out why why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com slash men, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com slash men, and enter promo code RIDEHOME. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse. That laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. 
Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Okay. The great Mark Gurman, Apple Scoops. Let's do it. Before I go into some of the things that you did this week, um, let's talk about the services event. Um, we're, we're pretty sure at this point it's going to be both the TV service and the uh, news service as well. Like uh, Both are going to be uh, probably demoed. That would make a lot of sense to me uh, to have one event to announce their two big services launches for this year. And it's important to note these are the first two major services that Apple's going to be launching since 2014 and 2015 when they did Apple Pay and Apple Music for the first time. So this is quite the undertaking for them. This is them saying, hey, we can do big services too, just like Netflix, Amazon, Google at all. And so they want to make a big deal out of it. And that's why you're going to see this flashy launch event. What are you hearing about this whole floated 50% revenue share thing? Like, do we know exactly what Apple is saying to these publishers to to justify that percentage? Well, I mean, Apple's pitch from their perspective is pretty simple. It's the same pitch they've been making all along. It doesn't really matter in, in sort of in their from their perspective. It doesn't really matter what the cut they're taking. What, what their pitch is is the amount of volume that the, with the news publishers, the magazine publishers will be getting long-term because of this initiative. It's very similar to the pitch they had to the music industry, you know, two decades ago uh, about the royalties they were going to take. It's basically, you know, you can take, you can take your percentage and our, you know, big distribution model to all our customers, or you can let your stuff get pirated. That was basically their pitch back then. They tried this with the TV folks and the video industry for many years when trying to build an over-the-top bundle to the TV service. Obviously, it didn't work out there. They're betting that it's going to work out with the news publisher industry. And I, I guess the, the benefit they have there is that there's an app called Texture that Apple bought at the beginning of 2018. And that already had a bunch of magazine deals in place. So this would be Apple sort of continuing that. And basically, the, the magazine publishers would be asked, hey, do you want to be part of it now that this is going to be the service built into Apple? Or do you you know, want to pull out from that? And so they're, they're pitched to there. Uh, it does make sense from their perspective. But obviously, from a news publisher perspective, 50% is a lot. Well, what's your take on, you know, some people think that they're floating this 50% figure as a negotiation tactic so that... Like, it'll really, in the end, it'll end up being 60-40 or 70-30 or something like that. Um, like, I have heard, too, that, like, there are already people that have signed up for the 50% thing. But, like, is, is it a possibility that this is sort of like a PR thing floated to, to try to get the New York Times and, and everybody else on board as well? I don't think from Apple's perspective, no. I think more so from the news publisher perspective that it's possible that some – one floated that 50% number to, to show the audacity or how outrageous it was in hopes that making it public would, would push Apple to reconsider. Taking something public makes the clock start ticking. The Apple event being out there has the clock start ticking. They have a deadline for when they need to get this thing done. 
on both sides, right? The news publishers want to be part of the initial launch, and Apple obviously wants that initial launch to happen with as many partners as possible. On the the TV side, the TV service, how serious uh, do you think Apple is? How committed to the original programming part of this equation? Because obviously that's the other thing is like maybe, you know, certain um, TV subscription partners won't be involved in the launch of that. So how much in your opinion, is it, well, no, we're just, we'll f- come to this one app for all of your TV needs versus how much of it is Apple being like, no, you're going to come for the great content that we're going to give to you as well. Right. It's a long time coming. I think this is something that they've really, their money where their mouth is. I know they've spent between maybe one and $3 billion purchasing original movies and TV shows that they want to make part of it. And basically, it's it's a threefold initiative, and it's all I'll just explain a little bit about how how it's going to work. So you have the TV app, you have that on your Apple TV, you have it on the iPhone, the iPad, and the iPod Touch. Eventually, I bet they'll probably bring it to the Mac as well. And it's basically threefold. One, you have the integration with applications existing programming. So you have your ESPN app, you have your NBA app, you have various other apps that you would watch TV content through where you're logged in through your TV provider, whether that's Dish, DirecTV, Spectrum, Time Warner, uh, et cetera, et cetera, or whatever the other providers are across the world. That launched at the end of 2016. They expanded it with sports and other things in 2017. They did a little bit more across 2018. So that's phase one. That's already been out there. That's already in use. I use it. That's the app integration. Part two is the integration with subscription bundles. So we've talked about HBO. We've talked about Stars, some of those other programs, paying a flat fee, a bundle, to sort of get all of that content inside of the application. That's part two. That's what we're going to see this year. Also, there was part three, and we're going to start seeing the little bits and pieces of that into the summer, perhaps in May, throughout the course of the year. And I think this is going to be a rolling type of thing that we're going to see, you know, probably on a weekly or monthly basis, sort of like Netflix. That's going to be Apple's original programming. They have uh, probably fewer than 10 original movies locked and loaded uh, in development. They have TV shows, dozens of them, I believe between two or three dozen on the docket. They have a few of them where they already have one season finished. So the original content is going to be strong too. So three things. It's integration with existing TV channels and apps. You have the subscription bundle with stars and some of those other providers. And then you have Apple's original content. And that's what the TV app is. Basically all forms of video and movie content all wrapped into one place. On top of that, you have your iTunes movie library in there as well. So maybe you can consider it a a four-part initiative. Um, real quick before I move on to specific uh, scoops you had this week, what the heck is going on with the Apple certification program story? Because, I mean, like, they're so usually fastidious about things like this, you know, locking down what can and can't be done on their stuff. Like, how is this weirdly some little angle of of it that they were just so lax on? Do you have any do you have any insight on that at all? Yeah, so this is something that's been going on for several years where developers have been using the enterprise distribution. For those unfamiliar, there's basically two ways for developers to distribute apps. One is via the app store. Two is via the enterprise program. The, part, the point of the enterprise program is to be able to distribute apps 
for employees at your company. So not selling them on a wide basis, but just giving them for phones in your company. So for example, Google uses it for certain applications like their employee cafe menu or the bus app. The other companies use those as well. Apple has you know several internal apps. Every company you could think of has those internal apps. So that's what it's for. But some developers or people have been using it as a way to distribute applications to the outside world. There's plenty of companies, Sonos has done this, where they've used them as a beta app. And this really blew up when Facebook was found to be using this program in order to distribute that research app. And then you see the pylon of other people finding other well, people Well, now it's, it's using porn and, and, and fake Spotify apps and things like that. Like so, But, but my, my question is, how come they're usually so locked down on everything and fastidious, and in this particular case, they apparently weren't minding the store at all? You know... I don't know if it was a big deal to them. I mean, obviously they knew about this. People who've been following this closely knew this was a thing, and there was really nothing wrong with it until it was found to be used for nefarious purposes, right? So I'm sure they knew about it, but until it was being used for nefarious purposes, there really wasn't a reason to, to shut it down. That's really odd to me. Um, out, out of character, I guess. The uh, all right. Because they're not losing money on this, right? These are free apps. It didn't seem like people were selling those apps or building their own app stores, right? Like I'm sure if you know you developed your own app store, the, you know the Tech Meme app store where you you know right. sold a bunch of different apps via an app of your own, you know Apple would be losing out on a percentage here. But it really wasn't impacting them from a financial perspective. Uh, but when they saw that it started create uh, what people are using for nefarious purposes like you mentioned the spyware applications uh, the facebook research app etc cetera, etc cetera. google had one too for you know some time that's when they had to take action um okay so i actually did not mention this um or didn't get a chance to mention this this week but you had a, a scoop about uh apple self-driving car initiative um what are called disengagements you know the the, the leader waymo the 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 test the human has to take over only every eleven thousand miles or so versus uh, Apple's cars apparently because they have to report this to the California DMV um, they the driver has to take over every mile or so I I don't want to ask you about that specifically more generally I still can't wrap my head around Project Titan at all like it's this giant gargantuan R and D suck for Apple. And sometimes it's like they're serious about it, and we might actually get a real like Apple car someday. And then other times it just seems like a almost like a money suck black hole. So how do you think about Project Titan and what Apple is really doing there? I think they don't even know for sure. Um, I think they're not certain what the end game is, but I think they're giving themselves uh, multiple opportunities to choose from different directions. One direction they could use is taking that autonomous technology, applying it to something else like a drone or some other device down the road. They can take it and go back to building a Tesla competitor or a car itself, or they could license that technology to a company like Uber. There's many different directions they can take this, and I think we're not really sure what they're going to do with it yet, but I feel like as a major technology company in the you know 2018 2019 it would be sort of irresponsible for them to not have something ready if they indeed need to enter the self-driving car space well similarly with ar again another huge r&d suck you had the scoop this weekend that the big iphone marketing honcho is moving over to market for ar products 
um, which I which would make people think, ah, we're gonna get a, a hardware product, a hardware AR product, maybe someday. We're gonna get some sort of Apple glasses or Google's or, or goggles, sorry, or something. Um, but this is another project that seems sort of opaque and hasn't produced anything yet. So what's your take? Um, is this, again, they're just feeling around in the dark to see where this technology goes? Or do you expect there to be some sort of actual hardware product for AR? No, I think AR, what they're doing there is pretty much the exact opposite of what they're doing with Titan and, and their work on autonomous vehicles. I think they have a very crisp, clear plan about what they want to do. And they seem to be executing it well. I mean, phase one was, you know, promoting the heck out of AR. You saw Tim Cook talking about augmented reality as much as possible, sort of putting that technology on the map instead of VR. Then you saw ARKit in 2017, the ability for developers to more easily write AR apps, ARKit 2 in 2018. We'll get ARKit 3 at WWDC. Um, some cool stuff they're working on there. But that's the software side. That's on the iPhone or the iPad. Phase two of that was sort of, you saw the Animojis, Memojis, some AR hardware in the latest iPhones. The next year in 2020, they're going to have a new iPad uh, around probably spring WWDC, if it doesn't get pushed back to the fall of 2020, with a 3D AR camera. Likewise, the next iPhone for 2020 with a 3D AR camera. And then probably the year after that or two years after that, you'll see the AR Apple headset which I believe is going to be sort of a blend of AR, VR, more like the HoloLens and Magic Leap. That's going to be when they have their dedicated AR hardware product. And, and there's a history of them appointing important marketing people to new categories when they're about to take a leap in that section. Uh, for example, uh, Michael Chow, who runs marketing for the iPad, he worked on the Newton way back in the day in the 80s and 90s. They brought him back right before the iPad launched to oversee uh, iPad marketing. Before the Apple Watch came out, uh, they reassigned a marketing executive named Stan Ng, who did marketing for the iPod for a very long time, transitioned him to the Apple Watch. You know, you see all the Apple Watch ads and the marketing happening there. So in terms of marketing products and assigning people to it, and in terms of when they're going to make those assignments, they seem to have a pretty clear pattern for when they're doing it, and, and they seem to know what they're doing in that regard. Uh, this will help me if you'll indulge me a little bit, uh, ask you a, a couple questions about your process, because like what you just described is like, you know, you've almost been covering Apple for so long that you, you've you've got a really deep sense of like the long arc of history of this company. So like when you hear little bits of chatter and things like that, like have you been doing it so long that like you have a sense now, well, this rings true and that doesn't ring true based on everything I've ever known about Apple. I don't think they're going to do this, but they would do that. It's like, do you have like a, a, a deep nose for that sort of thing right now? You have to be able to anticipate what they're going to do before they do it in order to figure out what they're going to do, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Sort of have a hunch yeah. and, and know what to look into based on past history and based on what you think they're going to do. Uh, without being too specific, um, is there a, a, a general method that you have for cultivating sources, getting them to trust you? Is that like a, a long wooing process? I guess it is for any journalist but especially for a company like Apple that's so secretive? <clears throat> I go on their podcasts. <laughs> yes, well, uh, don't tell anybody. Um, next time I call you. But the, um, the, uh, the sources, do they come to you now because you're so prominent? You know, I'm, I'm not going to get okay. into that. I okay, okay. I hope you understand. Um, 
do you what's your relationship with Apple officially? Like uh, I I read that at times in the past um you you know you kind of felt like they kept you at arm's length or do they still do do you feel like you have some sort of like a uh détente or or somewhat uh neutral relationship with them right now? You know, I think Apple's a great company. I respect them. It's an amazing business. I use their products. Everyone I know uses their products. It's great to be able to cover their launches from their events, get hands-on with the products. But I don't think being there or not being there really detracts uh, from coverage. Since I've been at Bloomberg, I've been at most of their events, and that's been great. And, you know, I respect their company. They have a large PR and communications arm. And... They clearly know what they're doing, and if they didn't, they wouldn't be as successful as they are today. So um, definitely respect them as someone covering them and as a consumer. Final process question. Um, How often do you report on a feature or something, some detail, and you know you're right about it, but then when whatever it is sees the light of day, it's changed, and you think to yourself, I bet they changed that because uh, I I reported on it or, or it got out. (laughs) that's a good one um you know i think they they do what they want i don't know if media necessarily uh shifts some of their product plans many of these things are in place months and years before they actually happen so i mean i guess it's possible um you know for some software things they may have uh chosen you know 10 or 15 different designs for something and if it leaks really early, maybe that inspires them to not pick the one that leaked. I mean, I guess that's a possibility. Uh, those are things that have been discussed in the past, for sure. Final, final question, um, and this is just general, um, sort of taking the temperature. Has the mood inside of Apple changed recently, you think, like with the earnings restatement, the sudden need, uh, lowering prices, selling phones overseas? Like just the the temperature and mood inside the company or with your sources has that has that changed in any meaningful way that you can detect? I think it depends on who you ask, right? Some people, you know, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I hadn't heard that. Other people are, you know, stressed about it. I would say, and I think that's just how it is at, at, at any company. Depending on who you ask, you're going to get a different opinion. You can ask a hundred people and get 90 different opinions on the situation inside Apple. 